Hey, I'm Debbie. And thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, as you can see, we are starting another series called Reach, Gather, Grow. We do this twice a year at the River Church, once in September and once in January. And we often choose a, a, a book of the Bible to see how it is played out in that book of the Bible. Um, Reach, Gather, Grow is our vision here at the River Church. We go over our vision so often because what we don't recount, what we don't talk about, it easily goes away. Vision leaks. If you're part of any organization, if you become part of any organization, you find that vision leaks. And that means that when you don't talk about it, you just start getting into the normal things of what you do. And you forget about the why we do what we do. You know, you're in growth communities for a long time. Wait a minute, why am I here again? I mean, hopefully you find that. But it's all about knowing the why behind what we do. Because the what is important, but the why behind it is so much more important. Because ultimately, it's Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's the bottom line. Um, But we also go over this because we have a lot of new people attending our church across all nine of our locations, and we want to make it clear what our vision is. So when you're asked about what the River Church is about, there's no question in any of our hearts. And so it's ultimately about the good news of Christ. But our vision is this. A vision is what we believe God has called us to see lived out in the life of the River Church. And it is this here. It is reaching the lost. We should have the uh, circle there. Yep. Reaching the lost, gathering the saints and growing together in Christ. So we reach the lost by glorifying God by reaching the world. We gather together to worship, glorifying God by gathering with the saints and growing together in Christ, glorifying God by growing in the word. And if you notice, it's a circle. It's a process that doesn't end. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. We want to make much of Jesus in everything we do. That's why we do what we do. We glorify him every chance we have, and we follow Jesus in the process. And this is all centered around the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So the Great Commission is this. It's on the screen behind me. It's found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And it says, And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus gives us a command here to do what? To go and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is basically a follower of Jesus. It's a follower of Jesus, one who learns continually from Jesus. Ultimately, the 12 disciples that Jesus had were actually something called the Talmudin in Jewish culture. Every Jewish young man hoped to be able to learn from a rabbi and become like him. And there was a saying that came out about a Talmudin that was this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, are you, may you be walking so close to your teacher, this person that you're trying to emulate, that you would be covered in the dust that he kicks up as he walks. And so that's the idea of being a disciple. But we want to not be just somebody that learns like to, to be like Jesus. We want to be somebody that also makes disciples, that helps other people follow Jesus together. And so as, when in the Great Commission, you have three verbs there. To go into all the world, to baptize, bring people in after they've been saved, and to teach. To teach people. That's making disciples. And then the great commandment is found in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, the other thing that our vision is based upon. And Jesus, said, or he's, Jesus has asked this question, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so we want to be about the great commandment and the great commission. The second command is staying focused on Jesus. Our motive at all of our locations is to love God and love people. That's our motive. Jesus showed us how to love God, how to love people, and how to make disciple makers. He showed us that in all of his life. And I love, I love visuals. I love to be able to give them when it's possible. And I've used this visual a long time in my ministry. Um, that's why there's four chairs on the stage up here. It, it helps us all kind of see where we are in our walk with the Lord and how to get where you're going. And so each of these chairs represent um, 
where you might be in your walk with the Lord. And this first chair right here is chair number one. Chair number one is the chair of the lost person, somebody who does not yet believe in Jesus. And sometimes we can think, wow, we call people lost. Is that derogatory? Not really, because here's the deal. If you lose your iPhone, what are you doing? Really, you just don't really care if you lost your phone? I don't believe any of you. You're tearing apart everything, right? Why? Because it's valuable to you. See, when you count something as lost, that means it's valuable. And Jesus counts every single person when they don't know him as lost because they are valuable to him. And so it's actually an indication of the value of each and every person that God has made and don't yet know him. And so these people are lost. And the number one thing they need to know, they need to hear from people. They need to hear from God's word. They need to come and see. We need to reach them. It's what we're going to be talking about today. John 1.39, Jesus said this. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. They needed to come and see. They need to come and see who Jesus is and experience him and understand what he's done. And then the second chair is the chair of the believer. This is somebody who now has come to know Jesus and is learning what they need to hear from Jesus and they need to understand in their life is follow me. They need to learn how to follow Jesus because they've just made that step, but now they have to learn, we have to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus said in John 1.43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And so we fought, we got to learn how to follow. And then the next step, chair number three, is actually the chair of the worker. The worker. And what we need to know in this chair is we need to learn how to fish for people. Because the idea is that sometimes we can, we think that working, and these ministries are important. And serving in the nursery is important. Serving on the stage to worship is important. Serving in tech is important. Security, guest services, student ministry, all the different things that we have going on at the church are important. But we can sometimes think that's the work of the ministry. My friends, the work of the ministry, first and foremost, is to learn how to go and fish for people. That is the work of the ministry. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So that third chair is the, is, is the chair of the worker. And then this fourth chair, as you make this step, is actually the chair of the disciple maker. Somebody who's now actively going out. They, they're actively telling people about who Jesus is. They have people in their life. They're growing in their walk with the Lord. They're meeting with people to help them understand what it means to take their next step in their walk with Christ. These are disciple makers. And what a disciple maker needs is to go and bear much fruit. To go and bear much fruit. In John 15, 16, it says this. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That your fruit should, should, uh, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. To go and bear fruit. See, sometimes for many of us in the church, we are stuck in chair two. Hey, I'm not going to hell anymore. I know Jesus. I'm good. I'm just going to sit here. And I'm going to make it an easy chair, and I'm just going to stay here for my whole life, and I'm just going to recline, and it just feels good. And in reality, we, the church walks around with a limp because we don't have people in chair three and chair four. We have to have workers that are going and fishing for people. We have to have people that are learning to go and make disciples and bear much fruit. Because, my friends, there are people every single day that die and don't know Jesus. And if people don't know Jesus Christ, they will never be in heaven. And they will spend a crisis eternity in a very real place called hell, which we learned about a lot in the book of our study of Revelation, or when we studied the book of Revelation. We have to understand that. We have to reach to people. And so as we dig into this book of Colossians, we start with reach today. I'm excited that we're in the book of Colossians because Paul wrote this book specifically to remind people in the church of two things. Number one, living with Jesus as Lord. And second of all, combating false teaching, mainly Gnosticism in Colossae, the city of Colossae. And you're like, Gnosticism, I haven't heard that before. Well, Gnostics basically considered themselves to be of superior knowledge. We have people around like that, don't we? I'm smarter than you and you're just dumb. Right? I mean, the very word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And so for them, everything was about knowledge. Everything was about knowledge. The spiritual elite, they were the spiritual elite. They had to go teach everybody else what they knew because they were the best ones. 
They held all the answers. Their basic doctrine was that matter, anything physical or created, was evil. And only the spirit was good. So many times they would say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. In other words, it doesn't really matter what you did in the body. It's already evil. It's your spirit that's saved. That is a very dangerous doctrine. It's a very dangerous teaching. Believe that the world came into being through a complicated surrogate process as God put forth thousands of, of like emanations of himself or lesser gods. And so they placed Jesus in this pantheon of many gods, not as the son of God, the God of the universe, the creator of that universe. And that we were so distant from God that, that, that we couldn't even know him in some ways. So Paul teaches in this book about who God is. But in order to really understand this passage we're going to talk about, which is Colossians 2, we have to hear his description of who Jesus is in Colossians chapter 1 first. So let's turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. It's where we're going to be. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but if you plan in Colossians 1 and 2, you're going to be doing pretty good this morning. All right? So if you, t- if you turn your Bibles, if you've got a paper copy, if you have your devices, that's awesome. Go ahead and go to Colossians chapter 1. Um, if you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you can download the River Church app. We have the Bible in that app as well. Just search for the River Church where a turquoise are. There's a couple others, but where the turquoise are. And uh, the Bible's there. This also gives you all kinds of information about upcoming events that we have at the church too. So I just, it's important that you follow along as we read God's word together. It'll be on the screen as well. We're going to read verses 15 to 23 as we begin. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Which is, he's saying, look. Jesus is first over everything. He is the firstborn over all creation. This is an idea that he was just born first or that he had a beginning. That's not what Paul is saying here. Jesus didn't have a beginning. It's not like he began at one point and God created Jesus. Jesus is the invisible God from the beginning of time. The idea of, the, of, this, uh, of this firstborn of all creation, he is over it all. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what they would have understood when they read this, that Christ is over it all. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Now you could do some study in science and the reality is in some ways we don't always understand why everything's hold together the way it is. We have like these general terms of why things are held together. I can tell you who holds it together. It's Jesus. He holds it all together. How many of us, don't raise your hand, but how many of us in this room have had such terrible experiences sometimes in life? Both things maybe we've regretted that we've done, things that have been done to us, and who held our lives together? It's Jesus. He holds all things together, and in him we exist. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In other words, again, he's over everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see Jesus, you see God. And through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We're going to dig into that more in Colossians chapter 2. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so Jesus is over it all. He's over it all. He's preeminent. And he made us who were his enemy, his friends. We're gonna dig more into that, like I said, in Colossians chapter two. So let's go over to chapter two, starting in verse six. We have to understand that. That's the basis of what he's talking about. And then we move into, into Colossians chapter two. This first verse Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he says it first thing. One of the keys that Paul writes about, about Jesus in this, in this book, and we have to understand is this, Jesus is Lord. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? For those of us that have known Jesus for any period of time, we've given our lives to him What was it like when you first decided to follow Jesus? Think about it a little bit. What was it like when you first decided to follow Jesus? And I've heard stories of people that were just so happy they'd been forgiven. They'd been set free from addictions. 
They'd been set free from shame. They realized how loved they were by Jesus. They realized that Jesus is so much more than they ever expected him to be. They were set free from religion and religious piety, and they entered into an actual relationship with God. It's a realization of everything Paul said in chapter 1 of who Jesus is. It's all about Jesus. He's superior. He's preeminent. He is above all. But we lose that, don't we? Life happens. Things don't work out the way we thought they should. And we lose that excitement about who Jesus is and what he's done and how he's actually changed us. That's the reason why they had altars in the Old Testament, because we are forgetful people. We have to be reminded of what God has done and who he is continually in our lives. If I may, it's why we do growth communities. It's part of it. Because we have to remind each other, because sometimes I lack faith and I need somebody else's faith in God to lift me up when I've forgotten. And we need that from each other so desperately. And yet our relationships with God are so individual. Why? Because we live in an American culture that's so individual. We need each other, my friends. And if you're doing life alone for Christ, you won't be doing life for Christ very long. You simply won't. Because things will just get in the way. Man, if we kept that excitement, we wouldn't have to be encouraged to talk about him and share about him as we do today. We could just, we couldn't talk about anything else. All you Lions fans, all you can talk about, we're the, we're the number one team this week, woo! You know, that's all I've heard all week. You're good. I've, I've already told my wife, if the 49ers and the Lions play together and the Lions win, I probably have to resign. That's just probably what's going to have to happen because you all are going to be incessant again. No, we won't. But I heard somebody say, too, that the Lions are the only undefeated team now. I went, no. Every team's undefeated except for the Chiefs. That's how that works. But they are the number one team in the NFL, at least for a few more hours. All right? So I know it's been a while. Congratulations. You move forward. But, hey, we get, excitement about, we get excited about that, right? A conviction in my life all the time is if I talk about the things I like, what do I like? Well, I'm an Apple guy. For those of you that have Android phones, I, I'll pray for your salvation. But the reality is, is, is I'm an Apple guy, so that, that, that's, how, that's who I am. If you talk to me, I'm a tech geek. I love my 49ers. I love my Sacramento Kings. I love my Tottenham Hotspur in London. I mean, and I'm weird about that. And I love Mich- University of Michigan football and all, everything Michigan. You know, I don't hate state, okay? I'm not that kind of Michigan fan. But that state team down south, I don't talk about them ever. But I, I, I get excited about those things. If you get to know me, I get excited about stuff. That's just the way I am. The conviction for me is, is if I ever get excited about anything else more than Jesus, then I've got myself out of whack. I got myself out of order. And it's not bad to, 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 to enjoy the things that God gives us. But if those things ever take place of Jesus in my life or your life, we are now falling into idolatry. And my friends, a lot more important than any of you Android people that we use in an iPhone is that you would know Jesus Christ as Lord. And that is what my, our lives have to be about. It's letting people know of the God who saved us. But we have to be reminded of what he's done. We have to be reminded of who he is. And that's what Paul's doing here. And that's why Paul is encouraging the Colossians and us to walk in Jesus as Lord. See, these Colossians didn't just receive Jesus as a name or as Christ, but he received, they received him in his fullness. They received him as Christ, who is the anointed one of the Messiah, the one that was long awaited, who would come and save the people from their sins. They received him as the one who fulfilled every promise of the Old Testament. That's part of what it means to accept Jesus as Lord, is that he is the one, he is the Messiah, he is the God, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is your Savior. They received him as Jesus, he was, who was a historical person. There's, a big, there, there's always been a movement of trying to say, well, Jesus, he may have existed. No, anybody worth their salt knows that Jesus is a historical figure, and he existed, and he lived, and he died. Now, people don't have to look at the empty tomb, and they can, they, they can think all kinds of things. But the best, the best reasoning for the evidence that we have about a tomb that is empty is that Jesus is alive today. He is alive, and we serve a risen Savior Jesus is the Greek for the Hebrew name 
Yeshua, Joshua. Hits me every time. It's funny, I, when we were dropping Kylie off for college, I said my name was Joshua, and the lady was like, oh, my son's name is Joshua. Da-da-da-da. I went, hey, did you know that name is actually Hebrew? She goes, it is? Does she want to know what it means? It means Jehovah saves, God saves. And she went, oh, let's go to your table. <laughs> you know, but it's an amazing thing. And they accepted him as the savior of the world. And they rejected salvation in any other name because it is only by the name of Jesus by which people are saved. It's the name of Jesus. But they also received him as Lord. And see, Lord gathers up all that Paul had previously said about Jesus in Colossians. It's a comprehensive title. When they received him, they received him knowing this teaching. They bowed before him as their sovereign. They bowed before him as Lord. They submitted themselves to him as their Lord. Billy Graham says this. He says, no man can be said to be truly converted or following Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have had his emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon comments on this and says, it's interesting to notice that the apostles, they preached this lordship, this, this lordship of Christ. Do you know the word savior? Spurgeon comments on this. The word savior only occurs twice in the book of Acts. Only twice. On the other hand, it is amazing to notice the title Lord is mentioned 92 times. In the book of Acts, Lord Jesus 13 times and the Lord Jesus Christ six times. The gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. See, we don't talk a lot about this lordship of Christ. We talk a lot about, hey, pray a nice little prayer. You need to be forgiven and you're in. My friend, if you just prayed a prayer, that is no different than a new age person stating a mantra. It's not about the words you say. It's about the Jesus you believe in that makes the difference, the distance from your head down to your heart. The biggest distance for some of us in this room between our salvation and us is 16 inches. We may assent to it. We may think it in our heads, but our lives have not been given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really wish it was something that happened at once, and I just made that decision. But in Romans 12, Paul talks about the fact that we are living sacrifices. And what can a living sacrifice do? Crawl off the altar. And I crawl off that altar all the time. I got to get back up. I got to surrender my life again. It's a daily thing. But make him Lord. Making him Lord is so important. And it's something we miss, but there's also power in that. Because now it's no longer your strength where you're relying upon, whose strength you rely upon, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's the hardest thing to overcome is we want to make everything about us. We even want to make the Bible about us. Jesus died just for me. No, he didn't. He didn't die for just you. In fact, his number one reason for his death wasn't necessarily our salvation. It was for the glory of of God, because he's that worthy. And oh, my friends, do we get a benefit. We get to be free. We get to be set free. Chains broken, locks tore apart, doors flung wide open to the prison cells we once lived in because of who he is and what he's done. All glory to God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit who dwells in us. So Jesus being Lord isn't just about what we think. It makes a difference in our lives every day. It doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles, believe me. And all of us do. Paul did. Paul talked about it in Romans. Man, I'm an, he basically said, man, I'm a sinning idiot. That's my translation. He says, who's going to save me? Only Jesus. Paul did too. But it doesn't mean that when you mess up, you don't run from him, you run to him because you know his heart and you know there's forgiveness there and you know there is healing there. You know there is transformation there at the foot of the cross. 
and you desire him in your everyday life. Let's read on in Colossians chapter 2. Actually, no, it's, it's in verse 7. Rooted and built, it up, built up in him. He's the foundation of all this. If we're not rooted in Christ, what we just talked about cannot happen. I don't know if you know this. Now, Gary might be able to confirm this, Gary Relich. He's, he's like a, a king of horticulture, basically. Anything that's green around him is here is a lot of Nancy and Gary. They're hiding their faces right now. Um, if I touch it, it's done. Um, but the reality is, is what I found out about a tree and these roots of a tree, uh, uh, the root, tree, root system of a tree, that's what I'm trying to say. You see a tree that's grown up and you see all these beautiful branches, you think, man, that is glorious, right? You can see a tree in all its beauty with all, with all of its branches. Did you know that the root system underneath to support that tree, all of that beauty, all of that glory is probably two to three times as large now, that's not, the big, that's not every big supporting root, but there are feeder roots that go everywhere to bring what? Nourishment to come into the tree. And if that tree isn't in good ground, what does it do? It dies. My friends, our roots have to go deep into Jesus. And what we see on top has to be spread that much wider in Christ. It has to be or it will not be sustained. God doesn't just throw the, didn't lead Paul to just throw an illustration out there about being rooted. He created it. I think he designed it and he knew exactly what he was saying in that illustration. Our roots have to go wide and deep and out and we have to get into Christ. Otherwise we can make things look good to people, but the inside can be rotting away. And as we look at this vision of our church, if we're not deeply rooted in Christ, we can't live out this vision. We can't live out this, this direction. As a church, as individuals. So what an illustration. How is your root system today? There's so much freedom found when your foundation is Christ. I bet we could have testimonies this morning of the other foundations we've tried to put our lives in and we are uprooted when those storms come because we've built our lives on sand rather than on the rock of Christ. But through Jesus' sacrifice, we can now live free. We can choose to do the right thing. Let's read the rest of this passage, starting in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of, of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting on the body of flesh, off, sorry, off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made, to, uh, together, made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him, over them in him. Man, before Jesus, we had no choice but to sin. No choice. None. But with Jesus, we can choose to, what, choose to do what pleases God. And this is something that's so easily taken for granted. It's an amazing fact that we can take for granted. Why is it so amazing? Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, 6-11. Got to get a drink of water first. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Think about that. No longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. See, we are made alive through the death of Christ. 
Our old self is gone. A new self, a new person has become alive. The old is gone, the new has come. But man, how many of us have had the experiences where we've allowed ourselves to become enslaved again to sin? Man, those chains can come back on strong, can't they? They really can. And you can begin to believe that, well, I'm always going to be that way. That's just who I am. That is a lie from the enemy because our God is in the resurrection business. Our God is in the freedom business and the chain-breaking business. And I need to remind you all of something this morning. There is not one moment that God regrets sending his son to die for our sins. There's not one moment that he regrets choosing you. I don't care where you are this morning. I don't care what kind of shame you're carrying this morning. You are loved by God. And you need to understand that. You've got to understand how loved you are. You've got to understand how deep that goes. Somebody's calling to tell you that right now. <laughs> That's good. You're good. The reality is, is you can't be separated from his love, right? Neither death, nor life, angels, nor powers, principalities, height, depth, nothing in all creation. Romans 8, 28 to 30. Nothing can separate you from his love. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of what he did and who he, and who he is. Everything we're talking about this morning. And so because we recognize this, because we understand this, this is the message we preach. Number one, we have to understand it in our own lives and we have to help other people understand it that without Christ, we can do nothing to get life. We can do nothing. It's not about the good works we do. There is no scale on this earth that will weigh your good works against your bad works and all of a sudden you're somehow good enough to be in heaven one day. We all need a savior. We all need Jesus as Lord Every single person. Because in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, Paul tells us, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Did dead people come to life? Only one did. And it wasn't us. And because he came to life, he can bring us to life. But we can't do it on our own. Dead people don't walk. Dead people don't talk. Dead people can't do anything for themselves. And so you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Man, all we see is passions of the flesh today, don't we? We live in a world that is giving in to the passions of the flesh that is against God. And we don't know that we so desperately need to be freed from that. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's one of the hardest things that we have to come to a realization of. Is that we are not the God of our life. And we are not in control. The biggest thing, you don't even know if your heart's going to beat in the next minute. That's the reality. I mean, you can sit here and think, come on, heartbeat, come on, heartbeat, come on, heartbeat. That'd be a really bad existence. We just anticipate where our heart's just going to beat. And how many people, I mean, just recently, LeBron James' son, he thinks he's going to have this huge basketball career. He still may. But his 18-year-old son, I think, died on the basketball court and they had to revive him. Guy's top physical condition. The nurses in this room could talk about people that are in great physical health and all of a sudden their hearts just stop. We don't have tomorrow guaranteed, but we know the one who holds us no matter what the future holds. And we have him to offer because he offers himself to anyone that will call on the name of the Lord and they will be saved. We have to reach the lost. We have to reach the world. We have a cure to the biggest disease that's ever hit mankind. It is the disease of sin that plagues every single person. And there is freedom from that in the name of Jesus Christ. But Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 2.14, why it's so difficult. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Some of you have in this room have family members 
that have never accepted Christ for decades and your heart is broken, don't stop praying. Never stop. There will be moments of discouragement. Never stop. Now, don't be a jerk for Jesus. That's not a good thing. It's kind of an oxymoron. But always point to him. Always point to him. In your actions and your words. It has to be both. You got to get to Jesus with your words too. And if you're following this Holy Spirit's leading, you'll know when it's time to speak. But on the flip side, with Christ, there is nothing but life. There's nothing but life. In verses 13 to 15 here, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. This next phrase, it just blows my mind. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Man, if you've ever been in debt, you know that the responsibility of that can be crushing. That's why we have such a big debate about student loan debate or debt right now. Because so many, so many young adults and old adults <laughs> are, are crushed by student debt sometimes. When you know how much your debt is, they're going to be crushing and be tempting not to look at it. But when that debt is paid, there's a freedom that you never thought you could ever have to. Jeannie and I, we've been married 24 years, and we made some really dumb financial decisions the first decade of our marriage. And we lived in a crippling debt until, I'm going to say, about a year ago. It took us about seven years to really get it paid off. We worked really hard and made mistakes and, you know. But there was a time where, because I made the mistake, I wouldn't go to God with it. Like, I made that. I mean, why would I go to God with it? I'm the one. And that's just what was going on in my brain. And finally, somebody that knew us well said, "Um, don't you preach the gospel? I went, oh, yeah, all right. And I started praying and asking God to forgive us, first of all, and then to help us. There were many times where we'd make some 10 steps forward and then, you know, the tires go out and, you know, now you got to figure out how to pay for that and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, we're just always going to be this way. But then God, supernaturally in some ways and just by his plan and others, helped us. Immensely. We worked, but so did he. And let me tell you, the freedom that came from that has been, I didn't even know what it felt like. But as I thought about that kind of a debt relief that I felt, or that people think well, the debt relief will be from a student loan forgiveness program, Why do we not understand, even as followers of Christ, the debt that's been paid for us? Those of you that are in debt right now, can you imagine if somebody just came and wiped out your debt, how that would feel? Jesus did that by 10 times, a million times. The debt that we we owe to God is our very death and an eternity in hell. It is not fair that Jesus died in my place, but he did and he paid our debt and it is exhilarating that we no longer have that penalty of death on us, amen? That is what this is about and other people are dying in this debt and they may not even know it and one day they'll have to pay it and they don't have to pay it. Jesus will. We have to preach the gospel of Christ. We have to live it and we have to preach it. We reach the world because he's canceled our debt. He's nailed it to the cross. Not only that, then this last verse, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame. This is a picture that Paul has in his mind. When Rome would conquer another city, another nation, 
The generals would be up front. There'd be rose petals all along, all in Rome. These generals would parade down the streets and behind them would be the conquered leaders of that nation being put to open shame. Here's what Paul's talking about. When you are set free from sin, when you are set free, when your chains are broken, you know what you can do? Satan, look at what you used to do. You should be ashamed of yourself because Jesus just set me free. That is what we get to do. We get to walk down, the, walk down the proverbial spiritual aisle and say, you ain't got me no more, Satan. Not today. God puts him to sh- open shame at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross. But it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. The enemy has been defeated. But we live like he still reigns. The more and more you, of you get, that you give your life to him, you, you see how he changes you. You see how you grow, you move forward, and you see how the enemy has been put to shame in your life. So how can we keep this to ourselves? It's why we begin this with reach. It's why our vision begins with reach. Because there's people in that chair, number one, who need to know Jesus. And they need people to step into their lives and say, come and see what God has done. Come and see who my Jesus is. Come and see how my life has changed. Come and see how you can change. Come and see how much you're loved. Come and see how you can be set free. But people won't always understand that they have a debt to God. You can act like you don't owe the debt, but it doesn't mean that debt goes away. The Bible even tells us that for some people, we're going to be the aroma of life to them. And for some people, we're actually going to be the stench of death. There will be people that will respond so negatively to you trying to share the gospel with them. But my friends, we cannot be the aroma of life to anyone if we're not willing to be the stench of death to some. Right? We've got to be willing to do both. We have to talk about Jesus. Not everybody's going to listen. But we got to keep preaching Jesus and him crucified. Almost 100, actually over 100 years ago in 1893, the world famous, or the, the famous World's Columbian Exposition was held in Chicago. And an astronomical number of people, especially those in pre-automobile days, this is when they didn't have cars, um, went to Chicago. Probably, it was estimated about 21 million people went to this thing. In 1893, they visited these exhibits. America, and particularly Chicago, had just risen from Phoenix-like, or Chicago had risen from the, like a phoenix from the great fire of 1873, and they desired to show off to the rest of the world. And the show was good. Among the features of the Columbian Exposition was the World Parliament of Religions, in which the representatives of the world's religions met to share their best points and perhaps come up with a new world religion. In 1893, Dwight L. Moody, who started Moody Church and Moody University in Chicago, saw this as a great chance for evangelism. Moody commissioned evangelists and assigned them to preaching posts throughout the city. He used churches and rented theaters. He even rented a circus tent to preach the word. Moody's friends wanted him to attack this parliament of religions, but he refused, saying, I am going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to him. Moody knew that preaching Christ preeminent, the peerless, supreme, all-sufficient Christ who is overall, if he was clearly presented, that's going to do the job. And indeed it did. The Chicago campaign of 1893 is considered to be the greatest evangelistic work of Moody's celebrated life. And thousands came to know Jesus Christ. I want you to turn over a couple, a couple pages, and we're going to finish in Colossians chapter 4. I want to read Colossians 2, 4, verses 2 to 6, because this is what we have to do when it comes to reaching the world, reaching people for Jesus Christ. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I want to stop there. If we aren't praying for opportunities, we will not see them. Right? We have to make it actually something we ask, hey, God, help me see opportunities today. If there's somebody you want me to tell about you, let me see it. Give me eyes to see it. Because when we ask God for that, he's going to answer that prayer. He's going to give you opportunities. But we have to continue steadfastly in prayer. Next, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
Being watchful, watching over our lives, watching over what's going on, and thanking God for what he's done. At the same time, pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And here's what we have to hear. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. We got to make good use of our time. We waste a lot of time, don't we? We waste a lot of time. We waste opportunities. Offer to pray for people. Seriously, right there, at work, wherever. I mean, if they say no, don't do it. Offer to pray for people. Super simple. They're sharing something with you. Hey, can I pray for you? And don't say, hey, I'll pray for you later. Do it then, because you'll forget. At least I do. Pray in the moment. Just pray. I don't have too many people tell me no about that one. I don't think it's because I'm a pastor because I don't lead with that topic. I don't lead the, hey, I'm a pastor and, you know, blah, 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 holy. I I don't do that. You know, not going to happen. But pray for people. Make the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom. That's walking in wisdom. Look for those opportunities. Love people every chance you get. Love people. And then it goes on. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned, with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is what I want us to walk away with this morning. Let everything you do be seasoned with the salt of the gospel. Everything. When you're at work, when you're mowing your lawn, when you're shoveling snow, when you're driving in traffic, when somebody cuts you off, when you're in line at Costco and it's halfway down the main aisle. When you're on vacation. When you're out to dinner and the waiter gets the order wrong. I know, I just stepped on some toes on that one. Let everything you do be seasoned with the salt of the gospel. When you're watching the Michigan-Ohio State football game with Ohio State fans. That's a hard one. When you are talking about politics. When you are posting on social media. When you're doing all these things, this is what we do. 1 Corinthians 2.2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is how we can reach others for the cause of Jesus Christ. I have to mention, this is a Bible that I never thought I'd ever get. It's my preaching Bible. It's an ESV Bible. It's, a, it's something I use all the time, and I preach from it a lot. There's a very precious lady that was part of our church when we were in for a really long time. Her name is Loretta Gardner. That lady, how, how old was she when she passed? Like 80, mid-80s, I think? She epitomized the gospel. She always wanted people to know who Jesus was. And every time I saw her, she let me know she was praying for me. Her husband had passed years earlier. She had so many regrets, wish she would have done more for her kids, all those things. And I kept saying, Loretta, you love Jesus in your life. That's what you can do. Of course she made mistakes. Half the time when I went to see her, she'd encourage me. When she passed, she gave me a, a, a stipend that was way too generous. I was like, okay, what am I going to do with that? And there was this Bible I always wanted to get. It's real leather, all this, something I couldn't afford on my own. And I'm like, that's what Loretta would want me to get. On the front of this Bible, it's something that reminds me every day. Is this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. It says, for I am determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how we help people see who Jesus is. We can know a lot of things, and that's Okay. We can enjoy a lot of things. I would say as a good father, God wants us to enjoy things. But may we know nothing amongst people. May one of the first things people know about us is that we want to live our lives about Jesus. And we want to proclaim him crucified. Why is him crucified so important? Because that's what paid the debt and set us free. And so we know nothing but Jesus, him crucified. My friends, you are the salt of the earth. 
You are the salt of the earth. So let your life be so seasoned with the salt of the gospel so that others can find Jesus, so that others may know, so that others may find life, so that people can come to Jesus. God has great plans in store for each and every one of you. May your life be seasoned with the gospel. And if there's anyone here that doesn't yet know him as Savior, please catch me afterward because there is a Savior who loves you. There is a God who loves you and wants you. He died for you. And he will set you free if you would simply call in his name. Call in his name today and you will be saved. If you have questions about that, I'd love to speak to you. People at guest services would love to speak, speak, speak to you. But my friends, let our lives be seasoned with the salt of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And God, I just pray that as we've heard from your word, that God, you would drive it deep into our hearts. That we would possibly see where we are on this, in, this chair, in these chairs. Where are we? Are we, a, are, we an, are we an unbeliever? Are we lost? Are we right now? Do we not know Jesus as our Savior? Then, Lord, may we come and see you. God, if we've believed, that's great. But if all we've done is believe, then, Lord, we've got to learn how to follow you. I pray we would learn to follow you, Jesus. God, if we've begun that first idea of working and learning what it means to fish for people, God, I pray that you would instill that in us deeper and deeper. And for any of us here who have begun to make disciples, Lord, I pray that would continue, that those disciple makers would be reaching, that those disciple makers would bear much fruit. But God, help us to identify where we are in our walk with you so we can learn what our next step with you is. And God, may we, our lives be seasoned with the salt of the gospel everywhere we go so that others may know, so that others may see. And may we know nothing but Jesus and him crucified around those that we see. Thank you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.